Welcome to the new Culture Cast from The Herald, and welcome back to listeners of the original Culture Cast, which was an arts podcast we had at The Herald um, about 10 years ago, and uh, we ran about 30 podcasts back then. And now we're back again. So I am Phil Miller, arts correspondent for The Herald, and this week we're going to be talking about the Glasgow Film Festival and the new BBC um, Scotland digital channel with our esteemed expert, Alison Rowett, Hello. who is our uh, film critic, columnist, um, general wise person. Um, so every week we'll be talking about different things, or every other week we'll be talking about different things in the cultural sphere, but we thought this week would be good to start with, with the screen world, because we've just um, had the Glasgow Film Festival come to a close with record attendance figures, 42,000 I think. So it opened with mid-90s and it closed with Beats. And uh, how was it? It was a great festival. Uh, I mean, it always is. It's, it's one of the most friendly festivals mm. you'll, you'll ever go to. Uh, you know, you can do London, you can do Cannes. Cannes is awful. Mm. Um, you know, the Berlin. You know, there are a few places around the world that don't have a film festival. Uh, Glasgow's unique selling point is that it's, you know, very much for the people. Mm. Uh, like, they have free screenings every morning and they were a huge hit this year. There are always lots of events on. Um, you know, you get people standing in the ticket queue that you wouldn't normally you know see mm. at the GFT it's just very very inclusive and it's got a great vibe because of that it seems to always have a, a good mix of um, they bring back old films don't yeah. they uh, as well as the new films and it kind of draws in maybe it draws in people better than uh, festivals which are just completely obsessed with premieres yes yeah. yeah I mean that's how you know some premieres you know make their money and, and mm. keep the talent coming back because they break you know they're, they're the first to see them mm. like Cannes for example you know nobody can touch Cannes mm. um, so Glasgow's never going to be you know able to break uh, you know the next Oscar winner although mm. you know it, it does have Oscar nominated stuff there mm. um, but it's more that it's, it's going to have you know a lot of good interesting titles spread throughout the festival of all mm. that people can pick up on. And I think one of the keys to the film festival, you, you may correct me, is the GFT itself. It's right in the centre of town. People queue, they go outside. Yeah. It's really visible that, that there's a festival on, there's something on in the yeah. city. And I always feel with Edinburgh, I, I know Edinburgh Film Fest, International Film Festival, which is on in June, hates being compared because they're different beasts, but um, it's less visible in the city Glasgow Film Festival feels like it's it's on. You know when it's on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even things like you know the red carpet outside mm. the cinema, you know, always yeah. attracts. Edinburgh has a problem, and as much as it's uh, it's in a multiplex, uh, a lot of the screenings are in a multiplex, which are which is just out of town. Yes. So unless you're actually Fountain going Bridge. there, mm. uh, you you know you're going to miss it. Mm. It used to be more visible when it took place at the same time as the festival proper, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but you're right. These days, it's it's not. It's, it's a wee bit quiet Edinburgh compared to Glasgow and um, let's talk about the film so mid 90s I didn't see that so how was how was that as an opening film um, well this was a, an, an, an example of, sort of an interesting talker movie mm. because it was the debut uh, of Jonah Hill mm. who people will know um, from Moneyball and Wolf of Wall yes. Street 
Um, it's very much a sort of coming of age story set in LA about um, this very lonely little boy um, who sees some skateboard kids one day and is, is more or less adopted by them. Uh, very sweet, great music, um, very competent directorial debut um, from Jonah Hill, who's obviously learned a lot from all the various mm. sets he's been on down the years. Mm. So definitely be seeing him again as director. Mm. And Beats, which I'm quite interested in. Uh, it's written by the playwright Kieran Hurley and it's about the um, it's about the clubbing scene um, and uh, kind of that, that Arches scene, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, uh, interest in this um, from Steven Soderbergh um, mm. who is an executive producer on mm. the, the film. Um, it's shot in black and white, you know, very sort of stylized. It's a big set piece is the rave itself. It's about um, two um, two young men who've been friends since boyhood, uh, having sort of one last hurrah before one of them moves away mm-hmm. from the the city. Um, and uh, the set piece is the rave scene, which I personally found unwatchable because of the strobing visuals, oh, but really? other people have really mm. loved it. So, mm. you know, if that's your scene, you'll like it. Mm. Did it feel... Club scenes in films I've always found problematic because on sets, and I didn't realise this until a filmmaker told me, the people are dancing to, to silence because they can't have the, the... Often, they can't have the music playing really loudly on the set. Um, so it never looks quite real. Did this feel like you were in? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so, so much to the point, as I said, that I felt, you know, uncomfortable because mm. it was so immersive. But other people will love that. But I, mm. I just felt sort of assaulted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, orally and visually. But mm. that's because, you know, I'm not the target demographic of mm. this film. Mm. Um, so the, the, the people who are would, would doubtless love that. It's hard to say this because this is part of my youth, but this is a, is this a nostalgic film? Is it, does it take a nostalgic look at that, that time? Very much so. It's set in 1994 and yeah. a part of it, um, there's a little montage which is very well done. It sort of looks at the industrial decline of Scotland to that mm. point. Um, so it's a bit political, um, and it's also, of course, uh, set in the times when the government was really sort of cracking down yep. on young people and their culture. Mm. And um, obviously, in Glasgow, the Arches was the big, you know, dance club. There are others, but the Arches he- held a particular place, especially in the kind of artistic communities' um, hearts. And it was closed a few years ago. Um, the police advised Glasgow City Council to close it, and now it is closed as a as a club. Does, does the Arches feature in it, or is that? Or I is believe it, that's yeah. where the, the the scene was the uh, the club scene was right. set that yeah. they took over the Arches mm. for that. Yeah. So overall a success this year? Overall a success, I would say there was lots of, um, you know, usually when you have a film festival you've got a couple of big films and then the rest of it is all sort of, you know, middling stuff. Mm. But the thing about this year I found was that it was consistently excellent. There was most films I saw were, you know, four star yeah. Fair, um, you know, and a lot of ones that you'll be hearing a lot about um, in the the year to come, such as um, Eighth Grade, um, which is directed by Bo Burnham, who's a you know, of YouTube fame. Mm. Um, Benjamin Simon Amstel's semi biographical um, piece, um, Only You, a Glasgow set romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sisters Brothers, which is by the director of A Prophet, Jacques Odiard. Oh, yes. Um, what else? We had The Vanishing with Peter Mullen and Jared Butler. 
in which Gerard Butler returns to acting with wonderful results. <laughs> um, and also another one that which I really enjoyed was White Crow, which is a Rudolf Nureyev story. Now, um, The Vanishing, that's based on a, a real story, isn't it? I, and I did a new story about this, but it's a famous case, isn't it, of these, these fellows who disappeared from a lighthouse? Yeah, yeah. Does it give any answers? Yes. I'm not sure that it's probably the ones I would have chosen, but that, <laughs> that's to give a spoiler. But it's a, yeah, it's an intriguing concept. You mm. know, three uh, lighthouse keepers mm. go over to a lighthouse um, and they're never seen from, it's never seen or heard from again. So, mm. you know, so what happened? Um, and the film does a very good job of teasing this story out. So it's either aliens, mm-hmm. a monster... Uh-huh. They all murder each other. Uh-huh. Ghosts. Uh-huh. Or they There's all just fall possibilities, in. That all of which are wrong by the back. Oh, are they? All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. And one day we'll have to get Alison Gardner in. She's she's the co-director, isn't yep. she? Yeah, and she, Alison very much embodies the spirit of the festival, as does Alan Hunter, Alan, co-director. Alan, yes, the other director, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they want the festival to be as popular as possible, mm. which sounds as though an obvious thing, but sometimes when you go to other festivals, they try and make it as hard as possible for A, the press to cover it, and mm. B, people to come along and take a chance. Yeah. Well done, Glasgow Film Festival. I've been to I've been to Venice only not Venice. I've been I've been to Venice several times, but I've been to uh, Cannes only once, and that was a completely different proposition. Oh. A really exclusive. I have no idea, of, no desire to go back there. No. Have you ever covered that? As no, a... I haven't. Um, simply because it's not really worth it in terms of the films that our readers may possibly want to hear about mm. you know we'll have the, the big films sure but you know they'll they'll open soon enough somewhere else mm. I mean for, for, for me as a, a Glasgow based critic um, the film festivals to attend are Glasgow Edinburgh and London yeah so we don't need to go to Cannes so that's fine don't need to be in the sunshine. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed by Cannes itself. I expected a kind of yeah, a beautiful town, it's, but it's a bit I've like Whitby or something. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but I've heard it's also a sort of horrible atmosphere as well. It's a it real is. fun fight to get into. Anything. It is, yeah. Um, anyway, so moving on from Glasgow Film Festival um, to something a little bit more controversial, I suppose, which is the new BBC Scotland channel. BBC Scotland, which is the new digital channel, um, which... Um, started last weekend, had a bit of a fanfare opening, didn't it, with um, a, a musical performance by Churches and the BBC SSO, obviously the BBC's own excellent orchestra in Scotland, um, a new nine o'clock news um, programme and a new question time type format and various other things. It's been in the news probably um uh, the BBC did not want to see for the last few days with controversial programming decisions where they seem to have made U-turns on. Um, well, I haven't watched every minute of the new channel. Um, I was quite impressed with the new 9pm news. Mm-hmm. Um, I think an hour is a long time to fill without any adverts, but they, they, they seem to be doing it. The ones I saw seemed to be quite interesting. 
Um, what, what were your first impressions of the new channel? Uh, first impressions are, we'll take, we'll take the nine um, for, for a start. Um, yeah, I thought it, it's debuted really well. Mm. Um, it's settled in quickly because, of course, they have been doing a lot of rehearsals. You know, they've mm. been at the rehearsals since about last November. Yes. So you would expect... Uh, they're both very good, the anchors, and you know, Martin Geisler, Rebecca Curran, you know, Martin Geisler has been all over the world reporting, you know, he can do this stuff in his sleep. Mm. Uh, Rebecca Curran's very good as well. They've mm. got a nice chemistry between them. Um, yes, I know what you mean about the hour being a, a long time to fill, because um, some of the reports, um, you know, were maybe a wee bit predictable, maybe a wee bit baggy. Mm. Um, the interviews... Um, they've sort of gone away from the two anchors interviewing one person which doesn't work um, the real highlights have been James Cook's reports yes. which we always suspected mm. that would be the case mm. um, and in a story where there's a, a, where events are breaking um, or fast moving or people are very very interested like, such as Brendan Rogers leaving yes um, you know, they picked up on that. They did that really well. Mm. They had the Herald's Alison McConnell, who broke mm. the story mm. uh, in the studio. So that was an example of them doing a story sort of well, mm. um, quickly and comprehensively. Mm. Now, the the history of this channel is quite complicated, isn't it? And it begins mm. many years ago with the demand for Scottish Six, a separate evening news bulletin for Scotland. That's been around since... Forever, Forever. Um, since I started being a journalist, anyway, in the late nineties, um, it kind of evolved into this decision to actually launch a whole new digital channel, which is fifty percent repeats, um, but is really hooked around this new news program. They hired a lot of journalists. Um, I think there was a fear in the newspaper industry that they would. Um, take a lot of newspaper journalists um, from newspapers. It doesn't seem to be that way. No. It seems to me that all the new reporters and specialists we're seeing on this channel they are, are broadcast, broadcast um, journalists. And um, I didn't see the, is it Stephen Jardine question time type debate, type night. Pro yep. debate night. How did that How did that go? Uh, that had a sort of uh, mixed reception. Um, it, it, the, the set, <coughs> for a start, was problematic because it just looked very cheap mm. and uh, a purely <laughs> practical thing. Nobody had a table in front of them to, right. to take notes. Um, so all, visually it looked quite awkward. Mm. Uh, they had sort of silly things like um, you could see that there were empty seats in the audience which is just a no-no, that mm, shouldn't have happened. Um, the the um, questions themselves, they only got round to three topics. Uh, the first was Brexit, and that was more or less a waste of time, wasn't seeing anything new. Mm. Uh, but the other ones, when they got on to, for example, sectarianism, which you would never have seen covered on um, uh, um, uh, Question Time from London, yes. uh, but this was you know, here and now. Mm. Uh, so that you could see why it, it would come into its own, but of course it can't travel around the country because it doesn't have the money to do so, so it has to be careful it's not just a sort of Edinburgh-centric view of things. You've touched on one of the issues affecting the, the channel, which is its budget, £32 million, um, which is obviously a lot of money, but as far as broadcasting goes, it's not that much money to produce new material. Um, so the, as we said, it's 50% repeats, there won't be a whole stream of new dramas and comedies, although BBC Scotland last week announced a kind of a agreement to concordat with Creative Scotland to produce two new dramas a year, two new comedies. 
and some factual programs. I suppose it'll be interesting to see whether any of those cross over into the main network and out of this digital kind of world they're in. I think that'll definitely be the hope um, mm. because it has to start. Um, it has to go into these creative partnerships to make this money go further. Because mm. as you said, thirty-two million sounds like a lot, but RTE in Ireland has got a budget of about one hundred and six million a mm. year. Uh, when you think of what it took to make Netflix is the crown, you know, a hundred million. Mm. So for the money that the BBC Scotland is having to do nine hundred hours of TV with, mm. you'd get a couple of episodes of the crown. So that yes. kind of puts it in context. Mm. So they will have to, um, you know, take part in all these creative partnerships and hope that the stuff does go on network because that will attract more attention, possibly more money, more talent, etc. And maybe we've seen some of the limitations of budget with some of the controversies this week. So um, there was the decision to feature a programme with Mark Meachin, the guy who who taught his girlfriend's pet pug to perform a Nazi salute. I think we all know that story. There was a story in one of the papers and the BBC immediately did a U-turn. Um, I'm wondering whether that's a product of either bad decision-making or decision-making um, or whether limited budgets mean they're going for the most obvious, the most obvious um, kind of stories to get. I it's a wee bit of both. Uh, I mean, that just shouldn't have happened. Mm. You know that he, he shouldn't have been on the, the mm. program in the first place. Uh, I mean, that's one of these things. You know, how does it how does it slip through? Um, also, the program that he was meant to be on was a sort of uh, it's a late night discussion show. I don't know if you remember years ago in Channel Four. Uh, or was it BBC Two that they had this? Um, they used to have a late night show with people on sofas drinking wine and yeah, all chatting about. Them. Mm. In, in my mind, this is what this thing is, but uh, but they didn't release too many details. So if you've got something like that, you know, late night, you've got somebody like him, mm. other people who are, you know, who make a name for themselves by being controversial, mm. then you know that's something that you would have to be very very wary. Um, about or handle very carefully otherwise you're going to run into more trouble I think you're right the decision making surely that would have set off alarm bells oh yeah earlier from the start yeah I mean when you know, if, you, if you're making these sorts of things, uh, you know, say, right, who, who are we going to get on? And everybody comes up with a, a list of, of people. You know, when his name came up at the editorial meeting, she, you know, they should have said, no, the guy's been convicted. Mm. You know, we cannot feature him mm. um, because he would be seen to be, you know, profiting from yes. um, his, his actions. Um, so that should have been nipped in the bud then. Yeah. And it's, it's kept an interesting week for the new channel, I suppose. With, um, I suppose we're all going to be looking at the viewing figures, and um, it got some good viewing figures for its opening night. But I suppose they are going to settle down, and you may get some low viewing figures amongst amongst their peaks. I suppose. Yeah. And I guess it's it's what they judge that against. Well, it, you can't judge it against ITV One or BBC. No, I mean a big push that they're making is for younger audiences mm. who don't um, watch what they call live linear TV. Yeah. Like they don't sit there like the rest of us and just you know watch program after program and go and make a cup of tea and come back. It's catch up. It's it's catch yeah. up. It's on YouTube. You mm. know that. So it'll take a while for the viewing figures um, to accumulate. Mm. Um, because you'll have your overnights and then you'll have all your pickups on social media, mm. etc. Um, the big draw of the opening night was, of course, still game. Mm. Um, and 
the difficulty is that they've got this flagship news programme, The Nine, mm. and I understand why it's there. It can't be anywhere else, because you've got Channel 4 mm. at 7. You've got the main uh, news programmes at uh, 10. But um, that's the sort of you know peak viewing time on the other channels when you've got Shetland and mm. Alan Partridge and all that sort of mm. stuff up against you, which is really difficult. Yeah. But it's the raison d'etre for the for the whole channel, really, exactly. isn't it? That news exactly. offering. Yeah, that's yeah. where the channel exists. Yeah, and that you know it's a case of I mean, see for example tonight, and we were, we were um, talking about this on a on a Tuesday. So you've got the nine, and then after that at ten o'clock, you've got a, a, a really good documentary on uh, the indie rave. Mm-hmm. So, but who's going to be up you know till ten? From ten till eleven to watch that, mm. you know, especially if you've got kids and yes, you're not really. They're in it for the long haul, though. However bad press they get, mm. or whatever controversial stories come up, or viewing figures, yeah. whatever those are. Yeah. Um, I was told that they're they're looking at this channel running at least to the end of this BBC charter, so that's another ten years or so. Mm. So. It's not going to disappear overnight. Mm. They're not going to give up on it. They're mm-hmm. going to carry on investing in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I hope so, um, because it would be quite difficult to lose 32 million and not mm. you know, really feel the pain from it. But, you know, bear in mind, we have sort of been here before with new channels, new programmes. Mm. You know, there was Scotland 2014, you know, mm. there was Newsnight Scotland. Mm. There was, of course, the late lamented STV2, mm. um, you know, whose uh, own um, news programme, you know, at times struggled to even be seen by one man and his dog. Mm. Um, so, you know, horrible things can happen to new ventures, <laughs> but we obviously hope it doesn't. One of the reasons they may, they will stick with it, though, I think, is that not only the news, it's this feeling, and we've covered it many times, many stories over the years coming through the audience councils, through other surveys, is the feeling that Scotland uh, and Scottish audiences feel they are not represented properly or correctly um, on the networks, on network BBC One and Two. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason given as well for this channel oh. that's, that there needs to be a better representation of modern Scotland in, in all its forms yeah. um, so it's about identity as well as, as, well as the news offering oh. and that is doing very well um, you see that in the documentaries that have been on it so far, like Inside Central Station and Sunday Nights, is going to be a big hit. Um, and it's, you know, it's very well made, it's funny, it's informative. Mm. And that's the sort of thing that you can see bouncing over to BBC One uh, quite easily. Mm. Um, because, you know, w- when you look at BBC One, I mean, why, for example, in Scotland do we watch programmes about ambulance crews in Birmingham? Mm-hmm. You know, why shouldn't people be watching a documentary about Central Station in Glasgow. It's all mm. the same thing. It's mm. all about people, you yes. know, the people business. So mm. hopefully they'll get lots more of that crossover. Now, finally, this is the culture cast we've got to talk about. Um, I have asked over the months of the um, germination of this channel about their arts coverage um, to the BBC. They got a little bit defensive, it's fair to say, I think. Um, there, there's no kind of main arts programme. There's no kind of... Uh, big review programme every night there's no South Bank show style um, they say they're going to they're going to kind of string arts through the channel they've got a documentary on Peter Housen for example um, and I'm sure they'll have some festival coverage well, you'd hope they'd have some festival coverage um, but 
has there been much arts of what you've seen? I, Not I, really. They yeah. sort of, the, there's a programme on uh, Saturdays um, called Seven Days, and I think you'll see a, a lot more arts on mm. that, but mm. this, that's not enough. I mean, this, this is the real missed opportunity here. I mean, you know yourself, the arts scene in Scotland mm. is very distinctive mm. and hugely popular. Mm. Um, you know, so people go to the movies, they go to clubs, uh, you know, they read books, they go, go to, um, yep. you know, all sorts of events mm. that should be covered and that are, that are all there ready mm. and waiting and they're not, you know, really taken up on that. I, I agree and especially when we're in this um, period in Scottish culture where... Um, visual art is so strong. Um, we just had another Scottish-based Turner Prize winner, yep. for example, in Charlotte Project. Um, and how many Turner Prizes have there been won by Scottish artists in the last 20 years? Um, we've got great Scottish writers, and they're successful and popular. People go to book festivals. I write in Glasgow, Edinburgh Book Festival. It just seems like such an obvious thing to programme to me. I know, It is. I mean, take, for example, the Glasgow Film Festival... Uh, I mean, there was barely, I think there was one maybe interview uh, that I saw on the channel about it. Mm. Uh, whereas on, say, BBC Scotland radios, uh, radio channel, um, you know, they were having extended interviews, you know, packages, because it was all there on their doorsteps. Yeah. So, you know, why, why not use it? Yeah, I, I can't understand it and um, haven't really... I, I can see how they're saying they don't want to kind of silo or ghettoise arts coverage into one program, oh. um, but no one's saying it should be one program. No, there should be several programs. Yeah. And don't forget, they used to have a Saturday um, arts review show, yeah. uh, whereby they used to fly people from London up to Glasgow to talk mm. about you know yeah. culture in London, which yes. is just nuts. Mm. Um, so you know, why not just have Scottish critics? Uh, I sound as though I'm making a, a plea for a, a job here. <laughs> Why not have sc- Scottish critics, you know, talking about yeah. uh, the Scottish art scene? On top of that, why not have Scottish artists, have Scottish writers, mm. playwrights, directors, yeah. producers, they're film there. writers? Yeah. They're not hiding. I, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, they're and not just in the central belt as well, exactly. further afield. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I've picked up on from sort of users' comments on the stories that we've been running, um, and particularly on the nine, they feel it's a wee bit Glasgow-centric still, mm. a wee bit central belt-centric, uh, but hopefully that will change as you know, more correspondents get to do more stories around the country. Thanks, a pretty in-depth uh, analysis of the new channel. And... Um, We'll see how it develops. I think it'll be interesting this year as well, how it handles the big things. I mean, we've got Brexit coming in less than a month. There may be a general election. There might be another indie ref. Who knows? Uh, It could be a very busy year that could, you know, kind of make it or not break it, but, you know, show up where it needs to uh, put more work in. But, yeah, I mean, we we certainly don't want for uh, business uh, in the news industry these days. Thank you, Alison. And are you inter- are you um, reviewing any interesting films this week? Uh, this week it's all gone a bit quiet because of uh, the Oscars. You know, there's yeah. generally a lull after it. But the big film this week is uh, Captain Marvel, yes. with our first female you know, superhero. So premiere was in LA last night. It was in LA last night. Uh, our London stringer Rob Carnavale uh, has reviewed that for us, so that will be in Saturday's paper. And that's Brie Larson, isn't it? That's Brie Larson. That's Captain Marvel. Yeah. 
So, if I may, I may introduce a little theory of my son's, my mm-hmm. eight-year-old son, who thinks that Captain Marvel is going to defeat Thanos in the next, um, the final Avengers movie uh-huh. after um, Infinity War, because uh-huh. the Infinity War, not to spoil it for anyone, ended not in a good situation for our heroes. So he thinks that she's going to come and save the world. It's possible, it's possible. Mm. I can't keep up with it all. <laughs> I lost the plots, you know, several uh, superhero movies before. So that wraps up the first new culture cast from the Herald. It's um, good to be back in our studio and um, talking about culture and arts in Scotland and further afield. Um, we, in fact, we just went out into outer space, so we can't go any, any bigger than that. Um, we got the budget for that. <laughs> um, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Um, as we develop the Culture Cast, I'll be talking to all our experts, um, including um, Neil Cooper, our, our theatre critic, and Mary Brennan, our dance and theatre critic, um, Keith Bruce, our esteemed arts columnist, and others. There may even be... Um, interviews with uh, between me and uh, various artists that I meet along the way in my day job of writing arts news stories and uh, the daily arts news column which of course you all read and um, so it'll develop as we go along but thank you to Alison and um, we'll speak to you next time (laughs) 